Coming up on today's show, we'll talk about Lake Ontario's Bermuda Triangle. Is it really a thing or is there a reasonable explanation? Planet Nine may be closer than we think and easier to find than we thought. And are you starting to think about a winter getaway? We'll go through some of the things you can consider as you plan. I don't know if you follow along with globalnews.ca, but if you haven't seen this story, I encourage you to go and check it out. It's a story about Lake Ontario and the so-called Bermuda Triangle, known locally as the Marysburg Vortex on Lake Ontario. It's been trending all week long on globalnews.ca, and it is a ripping good yarn. I'm telling you, it's all full of all the fun stuff with these kinds of stories. Planes dropping out of the sky, ghost ships, unexplained shipwrecks, objects in the sky. There's some pretty interesting stories. Very, very cool. And to some people, unexplained. But is there an explanation? When you take a look at the number of incidents that have taken place in this portion of Lake Ontario, it is much higher than anywhere else in Lake Ontario. Officially, the official database records 270 shipwrecks in the so-called Marysburg Vortex, but locals believe it's probably closer to 500 because that's not uh, a complete assessment of the situation. Uh, 40 plane crashes in that area. And as I said, in addition, um, other things that appear in the sky, mirage-like things, all kinds of different stories coming from this portion of Lake Ontario. So... Of course, when there's anything unexplained, the instant answer is it's like the Bermuda Triangle. There's actually more shipwrecks in this part of Lake Ontario than in the infamous Bermuda Triangle. So it's an interesting discussion, and we're going to continue it right now with Mark Sagan, who is an Ontario historian and a lighthouse preservation advocate. Uh, Mark, thanks for taking some time with us this morning. Well, good morning. It's an interesting story. It's a lot of fun to read. It's pretty fascinating, but is it real, Mark? Well, it's really what you're talking about, Shay. It's just a lot of folklore, yep. legend. There's really nothing supernatural or extraterrestrial going on here. These are, uh, as far as the the shipwrecks are concerned, I can't speak to the uh, to anything that's going on in in the air with yeah, airplanes. Yeah. But as far as the shipwrecks, certainly this area was known as the graveyard of Lake Ontario. There were Many, many shipwrecks. Um, there were of the the number that you quoted. Uh, many of those were were ships that were severely damaged, um, but a lot of them uh, survived. There, but there, nevertheless, there were still you know eighty that we know of that just sunk, um, and there are probably twice that number that that we that we don't know of. That uh, that that disappeared, but for the most part, I would say you know this these were all natural causes. There were a lot of perils in uh, this area of Eastern Lake Ontario. Yeah, I mean there are some natural explanations for why ships sink more often there, right? Sure. There's there's weather. There's uh, issues of geography, the hydrography of the area, the geology. Um, the issue that even that ship construction back in the 19th sure. century, when most of these ships uh, disappeared. They were made out of wood, and they were sailing ships. So when a big storm came up, they had limited control over where they were going or how they were getting there. They were they were you know pushed by the wind. Um, you know later in the in the century and certainly into the twentieth century, when there were fewer ships uh, sailing on on the on the uh, Great Lakes and on Lake Ontario, yeah, um, the ships had 
you know, had been, for the most part, they were now steel construction. Um, navigation was better. They had radio beacons. There were more lighthouses. There was uh, eventually, now we have GPS systems. Um, also, you know, something as simple as weather forecasting. That really didn't exist in the early 19th century. And so ship captains would start sailing out, and they wouldn't have a clue that there was a major storm coming up. And lo and behold, they were in the middle of a storm. They had a wooden ship that was being pushed by the wind to places where they didn't want to go. And then the, si- the ship never made it to its destination. It was, it was marked as lost. Sometimes they found some floating wreckage. Sometimes they didn't. So in those cases, they often would say that, well, the ship just sailed through a crack in the lake. (laughs) And you're right. Shipwrecks have reduced dramatically uh, in more modern times. They've gone down. Basically, there was a lot, and you can just watch the trend go down as you say all these advancements came along. So, I mean, that that should tell you something right there. Sure. Um, it's interesting, though. It's fun. And for a guy like you, a, a lighthouse historian and things, and a late, and an Ontario historian, it's got to be great fun. These stories are, 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 are a hoot to read. Oh, yeah. You, you look at the stories, and a lot of them are, are well-written by, by, by um, you know, well-known novelists yes. who uh, you know, are great at, at spinning yarns and, and taking these folklores and legends and turning them into stories that, that people want to read. And but the reality is that you know the the facts of you know how and why these ships disappeared, I think, are way more interesting. And when you really look into it, ships like oh, the Bavaria and the the Picton that were highlighted in the Global News story. I mean, if you look at at, at the newspaper reports and the the eyewitness accounts of people who went to salvage these ships. I mean, they, it all it all makes sense. There's really nothing supernatural going on, um, but yeah, you're right. It is it is fun to read, and uh, you know that's what that's what a lot of people like to uh, like to read about this uh, about the fantasy and, and the fiction side of things. Yeah, they are really interesting stories. Hey, Mark, I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome, Shay. You bet. That is Mark Sagan, who is a Lake Ontario historian and a lighthouse preservation advocate. And just some of the stories, I'll give you an example of one. This is the Bavaria ghost ship, okay? We're talking May 28th, 1889. Long time ago, the schooner Bavaria entered the final stretch of its journey hauling timber from Toledo, Ohio to Garden Island, which is near Kingston, Ontario. Uh, It was a part of a trio of ships that were under tow by a steam barge, and no sooner did the boats round the edge of Prince Edward County and they were caught in what Captain Anthony Malone of the Barge described in the papers as, quote, a living gale. Unable to withstand the force of the heavy winds and the mountainous seas, the tow line snapped, sending the Bavaria careening into one of the other schooners. Fearing the worst, Malone circled his ship back to the Bavaria to offer assistance, but there was no one there to assist. The Bavaria appeared to still be in working condition, but the entire crew, including its captain, was missing. Even more mysterious, when the ship ran aground at a nearby island, it was found to be entirely undamaged, save for a missing lifeboat. They call it the ghost ship, the Bavaria ghost ship. Pretty interesting stories. There's all kinds of good stuff. But as as Mark said, and, you know, not to pour cold water over all of this, um, there's usually an explanation for this, and Global News Story goes through it, you know, when talking about some of the strange objects in the sky. A lot of those can be explained, too. Um, but it's fun. It's a good read. Check it out if you have time. 
We're going to talk about Planet Nine. Um, used to be Planet X, now it's Planet Nine. Um, and uh, joining us to let us know exactly um, what we're talking about, I'm, I think we have Dr. Mike Brown. Um, Dr. Brown, are you there? I'm here. Excellent. Okay, thank you so much for joining us. I just wasn't sure we'd established a connection there. Um, okay, first of all, Planet Nine, for people who aren't familiar with it, um, it's a planet that has been... I don't know if the word is argued about, but it's been hypothesized about, and uh, some people say it's there, some people say it isn't. Um, how, what is it? How can there be a planet in our solar system, but we're not sure if it's actually there or not? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And, and the, the reason that we have not yet seen it is because it is really far away. Um, it's something like 15 times further away than Neptune. Um, so it's, it's quite faint. And we, we think it's there because we, we see its gravitational effects on the outer solar system, but we still haven't, you know, pointed our telescopes at it and said, yes, there it is right there. Why not? Why don't we just point a telescope there? Well, we, we have been. We've been trying, but we don't know <laughs> exactly where it is. Um, so we are slowly scanning the skies, looking for this one little point of light moving that's, uh, that is Planet Nine. Okay, so what kind of indications are there that tells us something is there anyway? What do you guys see that says, you know what, there, there's something happening in this part of the solar system? The, the main thing that we see going on is that some of these very, very most distant objects that we know about in this region that we call the, the Kuiper Belt, Pluto is part of this population of things in the Kuiper Belt, the most distant of these things, which are they're just little icy, rocky bodies out beyond Neptune, but some of them look like they have been pulled off to the side in one direction. And you know, we started looking at that and realized that there, there really is no other explanation for how these objects can get pulled to one side systematically unless there's something out there tugging at them. Now, I know you've been looking at this fairly closely, and uh, there's some recent discoveries. Have you decided, are you now someone who's saying, oh, okay, there, there is a Planet Nine out there? I, I'm pretty convinced. Uh, okay. there, there's, there are those, all those objects that are tugged in one direction. There are three or four or five other things that are kind of weird going on, all of which can be explained by one giant planet out there that we just haven't quite seen. But not everybody's in agreement, right? There's still debate around this issue. Yeah, you know, as it should be. Scientists yep. are skeptical um, until there's definitive evidence, and, and, and they should be. That's the right way for scientists to be. Um, I'm pretty optimistic, and I think we'll actually just see it, and then all skepticism will evaporate. Now, from what the reading I was doing, it's a massive, massive, it's, it's enormous, right? I mean, which makes it even more peculiar in the fact that we haven't seen it. Just based on the influence that it has, we speculate that this is a gigantic, planet so so it, maybe not gigantic but it's a um it is something like six times more massive than the earth which puts it between earth and neptune in size in the solar system so it'd be it would be our fifth largest planet of the solar system so it's not you know people sometimes think oh is this are we going to argue about this like we used to argue about pluto right, and the yeah. no this is <laughs> this is this is five thousand times more massive than pluto so there's no it's not it's not just this little slightly larger thing this is a real legitimate planet um sitting out there waiting to be found and really peculiar orbits right like and that's part of the issue around what's going on is it a planet that's sort of been the analysis you've been doing in terms of the orbit doesn't make sense with anything else that happens well, it's it's different from the other planets. So the planets that we know um, all have orbits that are pretty circular, and they're all in one disk. 
And this one is elongated, the orbit is elongated, and it's tilted by something like um, 16 degrees. And it, so, so it is definitely different. We, we think we know why it would be that way. We think it, we think it started out as a, as a more normal planet in the inner part of the solar system and got ejected out there and has been kind of lurking since then. But we don't know that for sure. That's just a, a hypothesis. Um, I've got a lot of amateur astronomers on uh, my text line weighing in right now and saying, well, it's, it's a tiny black hole. That's why you can't see it. I'm sure you've looked into that, Doctor. Is it a tiny black hole? You know, it's it's not a tiny black hole. Is it <laughs> is it theoretically possible? Sure. Does it make any sense? No. It's the, Even though it seems strange to us that there might be a planet out there, we see many other stars that have planets out at that distance. Um, and so this would, be, this would be a very typical thing for a star to have around it. It just seems shocking because we haven't really thought about it for very long. How far away do you think we are in terms of having a definitive answer here once and for all? I think that we will find it within the next two years. But oh. to be fair, I've said that every year for the last five years. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, the discovery of a planet is a pretty big deal. That hasn't happened in a really long time, has it? Uh, it's, you know, the last one, the last actual planet that was discovered was, was Neptune um, and, and then Uranus before that. So there's only been two that have been discovered in, in human history. Amazing. Amazing. Interesting story. Uh, Dr. Brown, thanks so much for your time this morning. I appreciate it. That was my pleasure. Uh, Dr. Mike Brown, who is an astronomer at the California Institute of Technology and an author on a new study uh, at the University of Arizona, um, talking about this very subject, Planet Nine. You know, it's that time of year when we start thinking about that winter getaway that so many Albertans do each and every year. Could be Mexico, could be Arizona, Hawaii, California, you name it. People like to get away when things get really nasty come January and February, right? It sort of breaks up the winter. Um, a lot of questions this year, though, with COVID and restrictions and blah, all, you know how it is. Uh, a lot of questions. So let's see if we can't get some of those answered for you. We're going to have a discussion now with um, Susan Cato, who is Travel Zoo's resident travel correspondent. Susan, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Great to be here. Okay, so if you're a Canadian and you're thinking, can I do a winter getting? Where are we at for travel for Canadians right now? Should we even be thinking about booking a trip? I think we should. We can do winter getaways. And I think some of the key things you just want to consider are knowing the rules before you go and keeping in mind that the rules could change. So looking for deals that have um, some built-in flexibility, refund policies. This is the time to double-check um, your insurance policies, and maybe to spend a bit more for uh, policies that will protect you in the event that things change for you and you want to, um, you know, go somewhere else or change your plans altogether. Okay. But, yeah. So let's break that down a little bit. If you are planning a trip, the couple of things that you can't, like you said, there's some things you can do. Um, what do you have to have in place in order of, you know, vaccinations or negative tests? I mean, how's the best, because it's different depending on where you're going. Well, we have a great blog on TravelZoo.com that actually sets out country by country where Canadians can go now once they're vaccinated. There are places you can go if you're not vaccinated, but we're, we're looking especially at places that uh, have rules in place for Canadians who are vaccinated, and it sets out case by case what you can do. And in a lot of cases, it's, it's nothing more complicated than showing you know your proof of vaccination. Um, other places may require a test upon arrival, um, but but usually things they want to have us back, like they want us back. So places like Thailand, for example, have set everything up to make it as easy as possible for you to go and see them and be safe when you do so. Um, and, and, you know, 
I would just encourage people to know before they go. Yeah, exactly, right? And just make sure you check it out for that specific location because they're all different. Um, And then the other one I think you mentioned that was really important, I think, is when you're booking these things, make sure you have some sort of safeguard if it all falls through because things change and you have to cancel or reschedule. Make sure that you've included that in your plan. So at the beginning of the pandemic, people went to all flexible policies. What we are finding at Travel Zoo is that many of those policies are going away. So you just want to know you like we 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 will label all our deals, whether they're fully refundable or flexible with no change fee. That's what you want to be looking for so that you are covered in case uh, the restrictions change and uh, you can't actually take that trip. Because I think that people are nervous about traveling. And the last thing you want to worry about is losing your money. For sure. Um, But but that that trip is that first trip is going to be so special. That's why we're kind of calling it a vaccination, you know, this first <laughs> big trip after you've been vaccinated. And I think people should, um, you know, really treat themselves because it's been a hard time. Oh, it's it's been a hell of a time, you're telling me. <laughs> um, what about uh, different locations? Are there some that, at this point in time anyway, seem a little more appealing, a little easier, something that maybe we should be looking at is, hey, this this has a pretty good chance of coming off okay. Yeah, I think that some of the sun destinations that we don't consider would be things like the Canary Islands, um, which is really popular with Europeans, uh, year-round sunshine. Um, we've looked at uh, Thailand, I mentioned. It, I mean, they have incredible deals uh, right now, like five-star properties that you can stay at for, you know, um, like less than $900 a week for two Um and I think Hawaii always tops travelers' list for good reasons as a hot weather destination. Yeah. Um, we also love uh, Tuscany. Um, anywhere in Italy is really fantastic, but Tuscany is a, is a wonderful place to go right now. It's going to be a little less crowded. Uh, it's going to have all that fantastic food and wine, and you can go to Florence and see all that art as well. And people are traveling. It's happening. Oh, gosh. You know, 65% of, of our traveling members told us they plan to travel this year, and, and really people can't wait because... Um, they're already traveling or they're ready to travel because, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a nation, we love travel, especially in the uh, summer months. And, of course, you know, for Canadians, places like California, places like the Dominican Republic, um, you know, all the Caribbean islands, they're they're so appealing to us because our winters are so bad. Well, exactly. Yeah, it, it almost saves your life in some senses. Um, Susan, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much, and happy travels. Okay, that's Susan Cato, who is Travel Zoo's resident travel correspondent. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.